Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, I'm back. Oh, I missed everybody. But let's just take a minute real quick and give everybody a standing ovation, okay? Chase Wiggins, it was a month ago, but I still remember it. Absolutely smashed it. And then Matt Lacey, oof, I got it. I'm sitting at the table in a whole different way now. And then there was this guy, this new guy on our staff, some youth pastor, preaching like he's been a pastor for 40 years, just dropping bombs. Joe Little, our youth pastor, just killed it. Come on now. Hey, that's not what I ordered. I love it. So now when I go to restaurants, I actually tell them when they don't order the right meal. Thank you for that. Uh, and then last but not least, Michael Teasley. Oh, come on, Michael Teasley. Last week's message, it was this beautiful unpacking of understanding really what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be saved. Oh, the foundation stuff is the best stuff. And so, Michael Teasley, thank you so much for uh, uh, last week. So you had four great messages, so the bar is high right now. So I'm going to come with guns a-blazing, fist a-punching. Uh, I'm going to talk fast. Uh, this may be an hour message. I may have to preach an hour long to make up for missing the last month. Does that sound okay? I'm kidding. 55 minutes. Here we go. Uh, we're starting a new series titled The Making of a Great Disciple. The Making of a Great Disciple. Now, let me unpack this real quick. Last year, if you weren't at our church, I preached this series titled The Making of a Great Church. And the whole thought of it was, is I don't want to be part of a good church. I don't want to be part of an okay church. I want to be part of a great church. And I'm convinced more than ever now that a great church has great disciples. And so for the next five weeks, maybe seven weeks, we're going to go on a journey and really understand what the word even disciple means, what it means to be a great disciple. And so the, the, the verse I want to start with, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's the Great Commission. It is the mission of the church. I don't think our church name is on accident. I don't think God gave it to us just to have a name. I think it's a part of our DNA. It's a part of our mandate. It is us living out what God gave us and entrusted to us, and that's making disciples. Here's what it says in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples. If you're with somebody today, I need some passion, okay? We're in August now. You're, rela you're relaxing July, July a little bit, but I need to say to your, uh, your neighbor or call a friend real quick and say, make disciples. Say it real quick. Type it in the YouTube real quick. Make disciples. I'm going to wait. A little awkward, wasn't it? Okay, let's keep going. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, uh, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Stop. Woof. It's an amazing mandate. And these 12 minus one, 11 disciples, boom, add the uh, core group of Christians, 100 and change in the upper room. They took this mandate seriously. They said, we're going to go make disciples. Did you know that in the Bible, Christian is mentioned three times? Disciple, 200 plus, 269 to be exact. So Christian three, so that's why I didn't tell to make him a great Christian, because Jesus didn't tell us to make great Christians. He told us to make great disciples. And I believe there is a chasm when we say Christian and when we say a disciple in America today. I'm going to give you a stat real quick. You ready for this? If you Googled how many Christians are there in America, you would get the number 245 million Christians. Now, let me just say some real quick. Some, you know, U.S. Newsweek, I think, says 240 million. Pew Research says 245. So 245 million people in America say they're a Christian. Pause. There's only 328 million Americans in America. So are you telling me we only got 80 million more people to reach in America to be saved? I, I don't think we've had revival. Maybe I missed the presses. Maybe I missed all the bulletin boards. Hey, revival, all of America got saved. Everybody loves everybody. Everybody's patient. Everybody's kind. Everybody's generous. We got 240 million Jesuses walking around in America. It's the greatest thing you've ever seen on the planet. 
So when I read that, I was like, that don't make no sense. And then I started thinking to myself, why is it that when people ask in a research survey, what are you? I'm a Christian. And they walk away and they think they're a Christian. I think that, and this is where it gets a little heavy, I think in the American church at times, I'm not pointing fingers. I, if I, the only thing, finger I'm going to point is at myself. I think at times in the American church, we have allowed discipleship to be an option, to becoming a disciple and be an option. So we've allowed this other door just to say, just say you're a Christian. Here's the problem. The Bible does not leave any wiggle room on being a disciple. It's the only option. Either be all in or be all out. Lukewarm Christians, it makes Jesus puke. So a great church is not going to be lukewarm. A great church is not going to be full of people. Well, I'm a Christian. I wrote a poem when I was gone for last month. You want to hear my poem? I'm going to share my poem with you. And this is what made me think about why so many people said they were a Christian. Uh, bear with me. I've written, I think, maybe three or four poems in my life. I'm a Christian. I go to church when I feel like it. I sometimes go once a month. When I go three times a month, I give myself a big pat on the back. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I have a bar that I try to keep. And if people don't keep my bar, oh, I shame them because of it. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I love those who think like me. But if you don't think like me, I'll use Jesus as a weapon to smite you and to make you feel stupid. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I take what helps me from the Bible and I throw out the rest. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I support Black Lives Matter, the movement. And if you don't, I'm done with you. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You support Black Lives Matter movement? I can't believe you. I'm done with you. I'm a Christian. Let me keep going in my poem. I'm a Christian. I've never read the whole Bible. I'm a Christian. I've never faithfully served in my church. I'm a Christian. I've never even faithfully attended my church. I'm a Christian. I've never even been in a Bible study. I'm a Christian. I've never discipled another person, but I say I care a lot on my Instagram. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I've never used my finances to build the house, but I'm a Christian. Oof. You know what? I have seen 240 million of those ones out there. So maybe there are 240 million Christians in America. You're like, dang, tell you coming out guns a blazing. I told you I would be coming. Fist of fury, truth and grace. I'm not holding back. Here's what I did the last month. You want to know what I did church last month? I turned off all the noise and I got in the word of God and I read book after book, uh, Bible um, story after Bible story, Jesus's words one after another. And I see this one problem with God's people. When they lose leadership that are real disciples and real shepherds, everything gets toxic. Everything gets sick. Everything goes out wayward. Oh, but when a leader rises up, when a church rises up, when you rise up and say, I'm a disciple, not just some Christian, I'm a disciple, health happens. Restoration happens. Transformation happens. Oh, reconciliation happens. I got a second part of my uh, um, poem. Are you ready for this? I taught this one, I'm a disciple. Are you ready? I'm a disciple. My whole life's purpose is to bring glory to his name. I'm a disciple. I love people. I love people who think different. I love Democrats. I love Republicans. I love people who kneel. I love people who don't kneel. I love people who, uh, who are broken. Oh, I love this broken world. I love with a love called agape love. It's a love not of this world. I learned it from my Savior. I'm a disciple. Let me keep going in my poem. My aim in life is to be like Jesus. I'm a disciple. I want to live like him. I want to give like him. I want to love like him. I want to respond like him. I want to suffer like him also. Suffer? That's a discipleship trait? Oh, let me read you a verse real quick. 1 Peter 2.21. 1 
For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered. For you, he is your example. Oh, what's been your example lately? Jesus is the ultimate aim. I want to suffer like him. And you must follow in his steps. I'm a disciple. I give generously of what God has given me. My finances are not my own. I give freely because he gave me freely. I believe the verse in Acts, it says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Oof, I'm a disciple. I love the word of God. The word of God is my bread. It sustains me. I love the word of God. It is my light. It guides my steps. I believe what the psalmist said about the word of God. It is honey in my mouth. It is honey to my soul. Oh, I'm a disciple. I love his church. I love everything about it. He died for it. He gave his life for it. The mess of it, he would take messes to masterpieces. The grossness of it, he loves his bride. He died for his bride, so therefore I give my life to build up his bride. I'm a disciple. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm filled by the Holy Spirit. And I have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit, you ask? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm a disciple. Oof. You may be saying, Tyler, that's, that's too high of a bar. I, I'm sorry. The Jesus is the standard. I, I think something got lost. I'm not even saying I've achieved these things. Let me read you a verse real quick. Philippians 3, 12 through 17. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things. You think I love everybody? I don't love everybody. I go on Instagram and I want to block so many people that drive me nuts. It, it revealed in me that I need to grow in love that I need to become a better disciple. I don't say, mean to say I achieved all these things. Let's keep going. Or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. Oh, let's press on. Can I just tell you something real quick, church? God is not against effort. He's against earning. It's this thing called grace. We think because of grace, we're not supposed to uh, um, put any effort in. No, you look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I gave the greatest effort, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, Effort is required in this. we got to press on to become great disciples. We have to have a standard. We have to challenge each other. I'm sorry. When I, when I have looked the last month at what's happening, what I've seen a lack of is a lack of disciples. I, I'm just going to say it. Disciples who are done with people because they don't agree with them, that's, can you imagine if Jesus operated that way with you and I? Can you imagine if he would have done that with Paul, the greatest uh, um, oppressor, one of the greatest racist people on the planet? God didn't say, I'm done with Paul. He encountered Paul, showed him the power of God, and Paul became one of the greatest revolutionaries there ever was for the church. Man, let's be disciples. I'm going to pray. I feel like I yelled at you a little bit, and that's okay. I'm yelling in love. I'm yelling in passion. I, I really believe this, that Mission Church is not going to be a great church because we create a place for a bunch of convenient Christians to come and attend on Sunday or convenient Christians to tune in once in a while. Mission Church can become a great church when people say, I'm going to become a disciple. My life is not my own. It is for my king. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, what you're going to do in this series. I thank you for the gift that it is that uh, you, you've called us to make great disciples. You've called us to, to um, literally be the church and become the church to a broken world. Oh, Lord, the church is the answer. So, Lord, I pray that we would be the answer, Lord, to a broken place, Lord, and we would give them this beautiful gift called grace. Oh, we love you, Jesus. May my words fall to the floor, may your words soar. And everybody said, amen. All right, so we're going to talk about grace today. And the whole idea of this series as we go into it, uh, you got my intro. I don't worry, I'm not going to do a poem every week, uh, even if you want me to. Okay, maybe I'll do every one every week. We'll see what happens. Maybe I become a poet, if you will. Um, but what I am going to do is I'm going to uh, try to help you understand what it means to make a disciple and what it means to be built up in a disciple. And what I mean is, is simply this. I'll just use a, can I, a car illustration. We use a car illustration for this one. 
So if God gave the church the mandate, go make cars in all the nations. And so God came back and he saw the cars we made. Now picture this, a, a church making cars like this. What if God showed up and saw the cars we made? The cars had no wheels, no headlights, no brakes, no steering wheels. Would we be great car makers? We'd be terrible car makers. Well, let's just take that now on the, uh, and flip it on its head. Now God said, make disciples. And God comes back and he said, make disciples. He says, you made disciples, but with no love, with no generosity, with no kindness, with no grace, with no mercy. What kind of disciple would that be? Let me double down on this illustration. Can you imagine the East Bay region trying to operate through this region with cars with no wheels, no brakes, and no, no, uh, no, uh, no headlights? It, would, it would, wouldn't be a functioning society in the sense of trying to move the cars. The ones that had no brakes would be getting wrecks. The ones with no headlights couldn't see at night. The ones with no wheels couldn't even move. They would be stuck. And what happens in church, if I'm just being honest, because we don't make disciples, instead of giving them headlights and brakes to say, no, this is where you stop, we're seeing a lot of wrecks. We're seeing a lot of people not getting added grace and understanding generosity, so they get stuck because they don't have the wheels of grace on their life. Do you hear what I'm saying? But a great church makes disciples. They build each other up. They take out the old stuff that is just causing death, and they add the new stuff that causes life and abundance. So we're going, to make, uh, uh, we're going to make disciples in this series. What's the first thing I'm going to add in this series? What's the thing we're going to add to the car? It's called grace. Grace is a word that I have preached on before. Grace is a word that if you ask a Christian to describe grace to you, they would go like this. Uh, grace, uh, it's, uh, it's great. And it starts with a G. Like literally, if you ask Christians to describe grace to me, it's one of the hardest things to describe because grace isn't just one thing. Now, we're saved by grace. Well, what does that mean we're saved by grace? Is, is grace a person? No, grace is this gift from God. Well, it says that we're taught by grace. Well, what is it, so grace a teacher? No, it says that grace is this supernatural thing that empowers us. It's, Paul says that when he's weak, that grace is sufficient for him. So it's this power. Grace is what changes us. So what I want to do in this, in this message, uh, can I use one more car illustration? You said yes? Okay, okay, I will. Thank you. Um, uh, here's the deal. If you said no, somebody else said yes on the TV screen. So you, you get it. It's cool. Um, it, Rachel and I rented a car one time in Vegas. It was a Ford Mustang uh, convertible. Uh, we thought, you know what? We're here for three days. Uh, we are uh, with my family. We're going to drive to uh, the Hoover Dam. Let's get a convertible. I remember driving around, and I, it was crazy. The last day I had it, uh, my uncle, who is a car enthusiast, said, isn't that cool now? They have this really cool sport button where you press it, and it absolutely just hauls. And I was like, it does? And he's like, yeah, it's that button right there. I was like, oh my goodness. I remember pushing the button and driving the last day saying, I was missing out on this the whole time. But here's what happens a lot with Christians. You know about grace, but nobody showed you actually where it was or how to navigate with it or actually how to use it correctly so you can go further faster. So I want, I want to take seven things that every Christian should know about grace. And let me use a different verb, ready? Seven things every disciple must have and know about grace. You ready to be a great disciple? First one, ready? 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's go to the Bible. Here's what uh, um, Peter teaches about, um, about grace and discipleship. To those of you who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have been reconciled a faith as precious as ours. You notice how they always start with that? You know what they're saying right there? Can you believe that we are saved by the grace of God? To everybody, it was, it was such a thing on the top of their tongue. It was something they always talked about. They would, they would start things like this. Can you believe it? that we were saved, we're righteous now, we're clothed by his faith. Okay, they would start it with just the unpacking definition of grace. Oh, I was dead, but now I'm alive. Grace. To everybody who knows what grace is, is what he starts it with. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's always praying for people to have more grace. 
The disciples that were great disciples that changed the world knew that you always needed more grace, that you couldn't have enough grace, that you should be praying for more grace, that you should encourage you more grace. This is what he's saying just in the beginning. Confirming one's calling election. You ready for this? Verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power. I don't know about you, but this region, this nation, let's go the whole globe. This world needs a supernatural love. And what this is saying is there's a divine power, a supernatural power that will give us a supernatural kind of grace, a supernatural kind of love to love this world. He's going to give us everything we need to love a broken world, everything we need to reconcile, everything we need to be uh, free of, of sin and of addiction. This is what this verse, it's so rich. We need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He gave you this grace. He unpacks this grace. He delivers this grace. Why? So you can participate in changing the world is what that says. So we can participate in it instead of changing the world. What's the vice versa? It says, or you can just go be part of the evil desires of this world. Man, I want to participate with uh, the grace of God. I want to participate with the supernatural power of God to change the world, not just live in the world. Here's where it gets real good. You ready for this? Through these things, uh, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Woof, there you go. There it is again. Make every effort. I don't know what it is, but man, like, I think we're afraid to challenge Christians to try harder because we think try hard is mean earning. No, I'm not trying to have you earn, but you should make every effort to serve at your church. You should make every effort to make sure that God is first in your life. You should make every effort to open up your word of God. You should make every effort to find some quiet time and pray to your king. You should make every effort to try to stir up and encourage another believer because they're getting stirred up by the news, stirred up by the world, but man, they need to be stirred up by another believer. Make every effort, it says. To add your faith, oof, okay, here we go. This is where it's about to get real. Okay, here we go. Uh, for this very reason, I haven't preached for a while, so I, if I'm yelling a little bit, I'm a little excited, just forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time. I, I feel like we're together in a room, but we're not. I'm looking at a piece of metal right now that has a lens on it. It's called a camera, okay? Uh, here's what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, to love. Woof! This could be an hour message. All Paul's doing right here is saying, as you grow in grace, as grace starts to happen in your life, grace is what saved you, sustains you, and changes you. It's a supernatural thing. Here's what's going to happen. He says, I want you to add knowledge. Learn about your God. I want you to add goodness. I want you to add self-control. I want you to add perseverance and godliness, mutual affection. Why does he want us to add these things? This is where it gets really important. Ready? In verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Man, I've met a lot of ineffective and unproductive Christians. I've met a lot of effective and productive disciples, though. And that's the reality of this verse. It's saying that if you don't allow grace to develop goodness in you, self-control, um, uh, faith, all of the things, perseverance, godliness, uh, mutual affection, mutual affection, e empathy, if it you don't allow grace to develop love for other people, you won't be an effective Christian. You will be ineffective. You will not be an effective person in changing the world. That's how important it is. Let's keep going. For if you possess these qualities, it is increasing measure that you will keep you from being uh, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, woof, the 245 million Christians in America, I'm going to say it, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Stop. 
So whoever doesn't have these, it says they have forgotten their past sins and forgotten what they, they've received. You know what they've received? It's called salvation. How they receive salvation? Through grace. Can I give you a quote real quick? It's going to pop up on the bottom, right? When grace is lost, the disciple is lost. Let me say it again. When grace is lost, the disciple is lost. He's saying, when you get nearsighted and you forget about being saved, that you are dead, that you are done, that God has done so many things. He has changed your eternity. He has taken you from broken, and he's making you whole. It says in Ezekiel, it's a verse that is wrecking me right now. It says in Ezekiel that he said he saw us laying there bloody in a ditch, dying. And he walked up to us and said, live. And he brought us back to life. And he gave us a perfect figure, it says. It's a, it's a fascinating verse. A.K.A. saying, I saved you, and then I made you righteous. Don't ever forget this. If you forget your salvation, you will not become effective. You'll be a lost disciple. Don't forget grace. All right. First thing it shows us is this. These are going to be the quick ones. This is the conclusion, seven, seven things about grace. First thing the verse shows us is grace is possible. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Stop. Grace is possible for you. But I don't think I actually need to convince you that grace is possible for you. Grace is possible for the person that you can't stand right now. Grace is possible for the person that doesn't think like you right now. Grace is possible for the person that is a Republican and you're a Democrat and you can't stand Republicans right now. Grace is possible for the Democrat and you're a Republican and you can't stand Democrats right now. Grace is possible for the person that is an activist that you don't like they're an activist for because you don't like the organization they're with. Grace is possible for them. Oh, let me let you know this. If you're that person but you can't believe they don't like you, grace is possible for them too. Grace is possible for everyone. It's the first thing a Christian should know. Nobody is lost. There, nobody is too far. Nobody is too far gone. Nobody is so lost because they bought into an ideal. Nobody's too far gone. Grace is possible for everyone. We're all a work in progress. When you give up on someone, that is not the heart of God. That is not a disciple. That is a convenient American Christian. We're not going to be that type of church. Second thing, grace is necessary. It, it's a must. It can't be a, uh, maybe I'll have it. Really, grace, if, you're, if, you're, if, if I were going to put it on the car, it's the wheels. They're pretty important. If you don't have the wheels on a car, you don't move. Well, if you don't have grace, you don't grow. If you don't have grace, you don't go forward. It's so, it's so important. I think about pizza. If you gave me a pizza with no crust, that's not pizza anymore. I'd say, I'm sorry. You could take the cheese off, I'd still believe it's pizza. You could take some toppings off, it's still, I'd still say it's pizza. But you take the crust away, it's not pizza. You take the grace away from a, a, a Christian, you have yourself what I call a Pharisee. It's no longer a disciple. Do you know that the Pharisees had all the right actions? Do you know the Pharisees had all the right actions of the law, but they were missing the grace of God? Let me put it this way. They had the actions of God, but not the attitude of God. I want to tell you about one of my favorite disciples. His name's Shane Russell. He's about to be a dad, maybe even this week, maybe even on Sunday. We'll see what happens. Shane Russell, I've been serving with him for, man, when we were 25. We served in LA, he moved up here. I've known Shane for 13 years, 13 years. And this is what I love about a, a, a disciple that has this thing called grace on their life and has grace for people. When Shane takes the actions of God, when he's setting up church, when he's doing the, the tech stuff at church, when he's doing things at church, he's doing all these actions. And he's doing it in this spirit. We call it the fruit of the spirit. But he's doing this attitude and I call it grace. He has this grace for people. He's not mad that somebody else isn't setting up. He's not mad because somebody's not doing this. He's not mad because somebody's not doing perfect. He just has this spirit about him when he's walking around. I love those type of disciples. Do you know what happens when you don't have grace? Let me just use one. When you don't have grace in your life and you're trying to be a disciple for Jesus, you're the type of Christian that goes to church, you start serving, and you judge everybody else because they're not serving. You, you made your serving toxic. 
There's no, there's no fruit anymore. You remove grace from serving, you become a toxic Christian. How about this one? The Christian who gives their finances to God, thinking, well, if I give finances to God, he better owe me a better, bigger business. You just made your giving toxic. You don't give to God so you have a bigger business or a bigger bank account. You give to God because he first gave to you. You give to God because he told you to, and obedience is a privilege. Oh, get the grace out? You become a toxic giver. I, uh, I think of the Pharisees, and I think of the disciples. And the Pharisees were the best of the best. The best of the best. I'm talking the smartest, the most charismatic. You had to be picked the best of the best, and they changed nothing. And then the Lord took these ragtag knuckleheads, Tyler, Shane, Josh, Rachel, Lisa, Shelby, Darnell, come on now, Joe Little, shout out, come on now. These ragtag people, not the best of the best, not the smartest, but they had this thing called grace. And if we allow grace in our church, come on now, to be the ultimate thing in our life, in the sense that we understand that if we don't have grace, we've lost it all, we could change the world with grace. We could be changed by grace. We could give it to people. Oh, we give grace to people and watch them be changed by grace. It's a force. Grace is a force. It's a force of, it's not, it's not an earthly thing. Stop thinking of like, what are you saying grace is? Grace is a heavenly force that changes things. That's what grace is. It's a gift from God. It's a gift to this earth. This earth is broken, and he gave this thing called grace to transform things. Right, take guys, change the world. Grace, not the best of the best. The fishermen, the outcasts, the murderers. The only thing they had that the disciples didn't was grace. They didn't have the degrees. They didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the finances. They just had grace. Give me grace, I'll toss the rest out, and I'll change the world. Grace is a necessity. A lot of Christians actually don't value grace at that level. Disciples value grace at that level. That's the second thing you need to know, disciples. Here we go. Third one. Growth in grace is gradual. It's gradual. And I won't read the whole verse to you, but let's just look at this real quick. Uh, you had goodness and knowledge and self-control and self-control to perseverance, perseverance to godliness, godliness to mutual affection. It's almost like you hear Paul building block after block after block. There's different ways that we talk about building. We talk about where the body, talk about where actually Jesus is the cornerstone, where living stones being built. We talk about building each other up. And so Paul's building with these words right here, saying, hey, after you put um, a little bit of uh, goodness on there, put a little knowledge. Oh, have you ever seen somebody uh, make, uh, like make a cake? You're like, okay, put that bottom layer on, but then put, a, put, put some custard in the middle. Yeah, okay, and then after that, put another layer. Well, what next? Now put some strawberries, but like, like that, that, that strawberry kind of jam in the middle. Yeah, 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 and then another top. Okay, put another layer, and then put some icing on top. I feel like Paul's making this delicious thing right here. He's like, he's like okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make a great disciple. First, we're going to put a little bit of goodness, okay, and then after that, let's put some knowledge, okay, and a little bit more self-control, okay, perseverance, and then godliness, and then mutual affection, and then love. Woo! Delicious! Who doesn't want to be around somebody like that? It's, it's, it's what Paul's doing. He's like, I want to build something amazing. I want to build something, but it's gradual. Rachel and I were talking to a realtor friend this last week, and uh, they're telling us in our neighborhood, uh, a house had 17 offers on it, 17 offers. And then there's another house in our neighborhood, and I said, well, what about that house that's for sale? Oh, it's got like two or three inquiries. That's it. And I said, time out. The only difference is, is one house is fully furnished and remodeled, and it's not even as nice as the other house. The other house has the best view. It's bigger. It's gorgeous. It's got the most potential. It's even a better part of the neighborhood. And it's only got two inquiries. The only difference was this. Fully furnished, remodeled house. Everybody wants to buy something completely done. Very few people have the 
She said they have the guts or the, the wherewithal to buy a house to remodel it. Very few people. And what I realized about American Christianity is we just want to buy the finished uh, disciple remodel. I just want to be done. And not only do we want to buy the finished remodel, we want to have our spouse be the finished remodel when we marry him. We got no grace for them to actually gradually grow in these things. Oh, if we want to be a church that understands grace, you need to know it's gradual. You need to know it takes time. It takes steps. It takes years sometimes. Remodels sometimes take months. Sometimes they take years. You want the fully furnished life of joy. You want the fully furnished life of generosity. You want the fully furnished life of peace. You want the fully furnished life of uh, fulfillment. You want the fully, fully furnished life of all your uh, promises and dreams come to fruition, and you're trying to get it all in one batch. That's not how it works. God is not a fully furnishing God. He doesn't go like this, boom, boom, done. We already have 245 million offers in America on the fully furnished task. It's called 245 million Christians. Disciples say, I'll take the fixer-upper. You want to know why? Because you're the fixer-upper. And then you're going to take other fixer-uppers and say, I see what I see in you because I was a fixer-upper, and look what God's done. I'm not, I'm not a finished product yet, but a couple of the wings of the house are a lot better than what they used to be. You should have seen this before, about a year ago. I was crazy. I was I was doing everything, and now I only do a little bit of this and no more of this. I'm in progress. Maybe. Is that okay to say? I think it is. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, I, uh, maybe too far of a joke. Should we edit it out? No, we're going to keep it. Okay, uh, number four, let's just keep going. So that one is uh, grace is gradual. I just, again, I, I feel like too many Christians are uh, trying to get, get their life where they want to be in a year. Oh, when I'm 35, everything should be remodeled and done. That's not how your life works. The Bible says, actually, if I could just finish with this, that this is something you'll press on till the day that you die. You'll be a remodel till the day you die, and then you'll reach perfection in front of your Savior, and his name is Jesus. I'm a disciple. Come on. Number four, grace ages you. Grace ages you. Now, what I mean by grace ages you, 1 John 2 through 12, 14 says this about uh, different types of Christians, okay? We've got about five more minutes. I'm about 30 minutes in, so I know you got five more minutes in you. Come on now. Here we go. 1 John 2 through 12, 14 says this. I'm writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. <sighs> I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. So he talks to the children. Hey, children, you know him because you got saved by him. That's all you know right now. He's your Savior. He says, I'm writing you now, fathers, because you know him. Fathers know God. They have this depth and intimacy. They understand God. And then he writes to another group. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. A.K.A. you were a baby children Christian that you got saved, but then you finally went through a valley, and you came out alive still and even stronger. This is what he's saying. He's showing different ages of Christianity. Baby Christian, adolescent Christian, and then parent Christian, the father-mother Christian. That's what he's showing in this. He goes on to say, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know whom who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Stop. Let's talk about the three ages of Christianity. The three ages of becoming a disciple, if I put it this way. Baby Christians, one of my favorite things in the church. I, I can't tell you, one of my favorite things about Mission Church is seeing over a thousand people get saved uh, in the first two years. It was amazing. I loved after service, people come up to me, they'd be bawling their head off. I'm like, I didn't know this was for me. I, I thought I was so far gone. And I'd be like, just give me a hug. You know, like, it was just amazing. I'd hear their story and they would come for, you know, uh, sun, every Sunday, they'd be like, oh, I just feel something different in this place. I'm like, it's the presence of God, it's the Holy Spirit. You need to know about this. Come to Mission Track, get in a small group, we're gonna get discipled, all these kind of things. But the other thing that's interesting about pastoring a church is you meet these brand new baby Christians that have been saved for two months. And it's amazing. But then you meet these other baby Christians 
who have been saved for 20 years. And it's just not as adorable. I'm just going to be honest. It's not as cute. You know, like they're like, I guess, like, they'll talk to me and they'll come up to me and they'll be like, you know what, I just feel like I did this and I've done this and I've done this and God should give me this and I'm so upset I don't feel his presence anymore. And, I'm, ah! and they're processing like a baby Christian. And I'm like, oh, tell me your story. When did you get saved? I got saved in 1979. You got saved in 1979 and what you're complaining about right now is so carnal. Baby a baby cries for milk till they get milk. A baby cries for ice cream till they get ice cream. A baby processes by feelings. Can I, can I read you another verse? Let's pop it on the screen. Ready? <laughs> Babies follow their feelings. Disciples follow Jesus. There's a season to be a baby Christian. Nobody's supposed to stay there. So a baby Christian, I celebrate it. If you got saved recently, you are processing things. You are, if I'm being honest, the baby Christian phase really is like, oh, I feel God's presence. I feel it, 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 I feel it. Oh, it's the best. Oh, I came to church. I gave $20 and then I got a raise the next week. God, this is amazing. It's like all baby Christian stuff. And then adolescence comes. And the best way I can put adolescence is when God removes the feelings on purpose from you. Where you go to church and you don't feel anything for a month. And you think there's something wrong. And God's actually not punishing you, but he's trying to grow you. He's trying to use this thing called grace to grow your life. He may even allow you to go through a valley. And that valley that you're going through, what he's trying to do is he's trying to develop a strong Christian that will come up on the other side of surviving the evil one. The evil one will come to try to destroy you, but because you are like a tree planted... This is the amazing thing when you come on the other end. I want to read this in Psalm 1. It's, it's a famous verse, but it really goes here. Blessed is the man. We're going to say blessed is the woman too. Let's go. Blessed is the person uh, who walks in the counsel, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Uh, uh, and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits in its seasons, and its leaves does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. And all he does, he prospers. I used to read that verse thinking, oh, so even in bad seasons, the trees just got all these leaves and all these fruit. Like in the terrible seasons, all you just see all these fruits still. That's what it means to be a planted tree. No, it says, and all he does, he prospers. An adolescent Christian, this is going to be the quickest one. We're going to go on to the, the mature Christian, the fathers and the mothers of the house, the ones that we want to be, all become. An adolescent Christian is somebody for the first time gets planted in the house of God. You get thrown because you have no more feelings, and you say, it doesn't matter, I don't have feelings. I'm still planted in God's word. I know I don't feel like reading my Bible today, but I'm planting my life in the word, so it doesn't matter how I feel. God, I'm gonna choose your word over feelings because I don't follow my feelings, I follow Jesus. An adolescent Christian, here's what happens. You know, I don't feel like going to church today, but you know what? It's not about how I feel. I'm planting myself in the house of God. God did not tell me to go to church for a pick-me-up. He told me to plant myself in the house and I would flourish. I don't feel like planting right now, but I'm going to plant in the house of God. You know what? A Christian is this. You know, I felt like giving God some money last week, but I don't feel like it anymore. You know, I don't even feel like going and giving the house anymore. I want to give over here. No, no, no. A mature adolescent uh, goes like this. It's not about how I feel. It's about what his word says. And Jesus says here, plant yourself financially here. Plant yourself in my ways. If you start to do it this way, you will not have a closed heaven. You'll have an open heaven over your life. I don't feel like it, but man, I'm going to follow Jesus. and I'm going to plant my way financially this way. You start to plant your core beliefs, your core being, how you operate in life. You start to plant yourself and say, world, oh, I got fired. My girlfriend broke up with me. I got sick. And the enemy wanted to drive me out of church. But all I did is say, I'm staying in church. 
I'm not leaving. I don't feel like coming to church. I'm crying during worship because I'm mad at God. But God, I trust your word. That's an adolescent Christian growing and having roots go down deep. So what's a mature Christian? A mature Christian is this. Let's use a tree illustration. Let's just stick with a tree illustration. Did you know that trees grow in winter? Did you know January in Tahoe, snow is coming down, looks like it's dead. Did you know that underneath all that snow, that a lot of trees, I can't say every tree because I was studying this, trees add rings. They get broader and stronger. They add rings to themselves during the winter. Their roots go down deeper. They get stronger so the next time a storm comes, it won't even phase them. They get stronger and bigger. So guess what? During that time of winter, when spring comes and, and summer comes, they can actually have more fruit than the year before. This is an amazing thing. A mature believer has a storm coming into their life. Let's just say a storm of all storms. Let's say a valley of all valleys. Let's say they, they have a sickness in the family. Let's say a death comes in the family. Being a pastor, you get phone calls and, and you, you hurt with people. But a mature believer, when these things happen, they come into life, here's what happens. They look at the spiritual calendar and they simply say this, well, it's January. It's snowing. But here's what I know about January. Spring's coming. And the snow will leave. And there will be new blossoms. God is up to something. He is working in the midst of this. I don't want to be a baby Christian. Because here's what a baby Christian does during the storm. Ah, I want ice cream. Give me ice cream. If I don't get ice cream, I'm leaving. I won't be planted in this storm. And so they try to plant everywhere and find whatever makes them feel the best. Baby Christians are everywhere, and they are sucking churches dry. If you are a convenient Christian, man, let's, let, let grace grow you up. Let grace grow you up. I want it to grow me up. Oh, I need to grow up. Oh, when I have a bad day, the things that I'm realizing is this. I look at the calendar now. Lord, you're doing something. But spring's coming, and the fruit is coming. And it helps other trees say, hey, look at the I'm with you. I, I've been, our calendars are different. I was in January about four or five months ago. Let me tell you, it was tough. It was stormy. Oh, but there is, oh, there is fruit on the other side. There is, there is, there is abundance on the other side. Don't, don't run. Don't fight it. Oh, just surrender to the process of winter. Don't allow winter to destroy you. Let it actually to grow you. That's what a mature Christian does. My last three, very fast. Grace is organic. It's not some manufactured thing where you just say, if I do these three things, I became a mature disciple. I, uh, I think of people who come to church and they are in every small group, they serve everywhere, and they do everything, and they think the busier they become, the better they disciple they become. That was the Pharisees. The greatest disciples understand that God changes from the inside out. Every morning when you're doing something, check your motives. Every time you're giving, check your motives. If you want grace to grow, don't try to grow it through what you're doing. Oh, grow it through what he's doing inside of you. Oh, allow him to do things. Oh, allow him to work you from the inside of your heart, your soul, and then allow that to change the outside things. Oh, the busy Christians do not pile up busyness to develop, to be a great disciple. I think that's why so many people get lost. It's not about busyness. It's about being with God. Let me put it in. A great disciple is not about busyness. It's about being. Not busyness, being. Be with God this week and watch what grace uh, happens in your life. What kind of growth happens in your life? Last but not least, grace is observable. It's observable. You can tell when people have it. You can tell when it's happening in somebody's life. Uh, let me ask you a couple questions. 
Because you can't fake grace. You can't fake like, oh yeah, I'm a gracious disciple. Oh, I, yo, Tyler, I'm, I'm one of the, you talked about making great disciples. I'm one of them. Totally one of them. You know I'm one of them. Yeah, I am. I've been in church for two years. I'm, I'm one of the great disciples. You can't fake that. You don't even have to tell me if you're a great disciple. I already know who a great disciple is. I can see them. I'm around them. And I can see the convenient Christians. I can see the ones that are, are stubborn and stuck in their spots and blaming everybody else for their life, but realizing that nothing's going to change it except the divine supernatural natural power of God, which is the grace of God. Here's some questions. Are you growing your self-control? Are you growing in your generosity? Are you growing in your kindness? Are you worrying less? Are you growing in love? Are you growing in patience? Or are you just posting more than ever? Just think about it. Let's go last one. <laughs> last but not least, grace is for everybody. These are seven things you need to know about grace. Grace is for everybody. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. By it, many become defiled. Church, see to it that nobody misses out on the grace of God. If we, how angry is everybody? How short-tempered is everybody? How offendable is everybody? They're just so quick to get angry. And in times, the hearts of many would grow cold. So what's the church's job? To warm the hearts up. How do we warm the hearts up? See to it that nobody misses out on the grace of God. When somebody is ungracious to you, be overly gracious to them. When somebody's impatient with you, be really patient with them. When somebody's very unloving to you, be extremely loving to them. When somebody gives you hell, it's an old term, but you give them heaven. When somebody tries to, maybe they're being used by the evil one, will be used by the great one and give them Jesus. Church, people need Jesus in this season. They need great disciples giving people grace, giving them the, the salvation message that is by the grace of God that we are saved. Nothing that we did that, to earn it. I want to ask anybody who's watching today uh, for the first message. I hope you didn't tune out in the very beginning. Uh, but uh, if it's your first time watching, maybe you've been watching for a while. Or maybe you're like, man, I, I really want to be saved. Maybe I was just a convenient Christian. Maybe I just, in a pure research, I say I'm a Christian. And I kind of raise my hand, but I actually don't even know if I'm saved. I don't even know if I'm actually a follower of Jesus. Well, if you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, you want to say yes to being a disciple of Jesus, I want you to uh, raise your hand. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Raise your hand. And I want you to do this with me real quick. Raise your other hand. And I want you to say this. Lord, I surrender my whole life. Church, I know we're not together. This would be way more normal if we were together. But if you're in your house, will you just raise your hands with me? I, just, I, feel, I feel this press on my soul this next season that a lot of us need to surrender more than fight more. A lot of us need to lay down things more than we need to actually put things up. And so as a church, I just want to pray for us real quick. I want to pray for the ones getting saved right now. Lord, we surrender our lives. We surrender our agenda. We surrender our battle plan. We surrender our, uh, our finances. We surrender our offenses. We surrender what we want. And we simply say, have your way. God, I heard this from a, a person who was in ministry for 60 years. I barely knew him, but they just simply said the biggest thing they learned in their 60 years of ministry was God's looking for yeses. He's looking for surrendering Christians. Well, God, I say yes today. People in their rooms, when their hands are lifted right now, we say yes to you, God. We say yes to becoming a great disciple. We say yes to walking away from the world and walking to heaven. We say yes to reconciliation. We say yes to love. We say yes to forgiveness. We say yes to growth. We say yes to the things of God, and we say yes to grace. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said amen. Hey, I love you, Mission Church. I'll see you next week. Making Great Disciples. We just started the series. Here we go. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.